Well, this is our second lesson on the curriculum of fasting. Thank God for it. Fasting is for an American is a hard subject because, you know, we're Americans and we like food and we like television and we like to spoil and soil and uh, waste and uh, gobble it up and swallow it down. And who are we to withhold from flesh? In America, flesh is king. But in the Bible, fasting helps. This week, we're going to look at our lesson called Reasons to Fast or Why, When, How Come. Because lots of times when your flesh gets put under the gun, it starts asking, Why? 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 Do I have to? Do I have to? No, you get to. Do I have to? No, you get to. Why? Why? Sounds like that little three-year-old brat. That's what your flesh is, is a three-year-old brat, and you must discipline it and put it under and bring it into subjection because you're to use your flesh. Your flesh is not to use you. And if you didn't know it, you only get one flesh and blood body. We have not perfected body, body donations yet or body transplants. Once this one's toast, you're toast. You go home. So it's a good thing to put your flesh under. And so what, what we're going to focus on this morning is biblical reasons why to fast, when you fast. We looked at last week because I have found that perhaps lazy, fat, sloppy Christians have tried to find New Testament reasons to not fast. I think with last week's curriculum, we saw about eight New Testament reasons to fast, which is a good thing. Now we want to understand what seasons do you fast in? Because the flesh will always look for a loophole to not fast. But a spiritual person is always looking for a reason to fast to get something done. And it's not legalistic, but you can make it legalistic, just like you can make tongues legalistic, just like you can make prayer lines legalistic, just like you can make water baptism legalistic. You can make fasting legalistic, but fasting is not legalistic. It is very much biblical. And as a side note, I think once you finish all these classes, I think I have incorporated every biblical scripture on fasting in this curriculum, which is kind of neat because there's a bunch of them. We're going to cover a lot of them this morning. So let's look at this thing here. Let's look at some reasons why or when to fast. This curriculum is called When and Why You Should Fast. Three biblical reasons to fast. As with anything that puts a demand on the flesh, we should often answer the why. Why should we fast? Or perhaps when should we fast? The Bible very clearly spells out three unique situations that require fasting. This lesson will look at each of those scenarios. We will begin with the least obvious reason. Let me add this. As I was studying this to write this curriculum, uh, in the Bible, you kind of have two sets of the way the Bible's laid out. You have Bible stories, and then you have Bible doctrine. And Bible stories always are about Bible doctrine. What do you mean? Well, there's stories of healing in the Bible, and then there's teaching on healing. And there's stories of military victory in the Bible, and then there's teaching on how to get the victory. And there's stories about prospering, and then there's Bible doctrine on how to prosper. You, you understand the scenario. And so it, with the scriptures, there's Bible verses that teach us how and when and why to, to fast. And then there's lots of stories on fasting. That they don't tell us the why, they just told us, and David fasted. And there's an example of when he fasted. So with that aside, what we're looking at right now, for the most part, are going to be Bible stories of when people fasted, and we can get some things from that. But in studying this and getting all the scriptures in the Bible on fasting, I found that the reasons people in the Bible fasted, there was only one of three, only three reasons biblically to fast. And of about 30 examples of 30 stories of fasting, 30, 30 times somebody fasted or Israel fasted or a king fasted or David fasted or Paul fasted. They divide almost equally into thirds, which is kind of a neat Bible statistic that there's basically 30 stories of fasting and it's almost 10, 10 and 10. 
as to the why, the breakdown, which is neat. We want to cover the first one, which is probably the least understood, the least taught. You've probably never seen this as a reason to fast. And this may help some of you ladies more than you are expecting. But the first biblical reason to fast is in a time of sorrow and loss. We've never thought about fasting as a way to get us through sorrow and and loss, emotional hurt, trauma. But that's one third of the reasons why people in the Bible fasted was heartache. Somebody died, somebody perished. This is a, a useful tool. Oddly enough, and we're going to cover it here and look at our, our curriculum here, people would fast when they were sad, but now in the modern church, we eat. <laughs> Ho-hos, ding-dongs, bonbons, chocolate, chocolate fondue, chocolate bunnies, chocolate pizza, chocolate shakes, chocolate, 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 as almost it was in the book of Leviticus, chocolate will heal all thy aches and pains. No, it will make you fat and rot your teeth out And in the end, you'll still have a big hole of a painful heart. But it's interesting. The Bible says fast in time of sorrow, but Americana in the flesh says eat. It's comfort food. No, it's heart attack food. It's chubby food. So it'll make you husky. That was a word we always dreaded as a kid. Mom would say, son, I I think we may have to get you some husky jeans. No, mama, not because those are the ones with the elastic in the back because you were getting chubby. Let's look at this. This may be the least known and least used reason to fast. Fasting can provide spiritual help in a time of mourning. We know that often during a time of emotional trauma, one may lose their appetite. That is not what we are referring to. The Bible teaches fasting as an intended affliction of soul. That is something you purpose to do. So if you lose a loved one to death, you may lose your appetite. That's not biblical fasting. You biblically fast, you intend to do it. So if you lose your appetite, that's not fasting. You just lost your appetite. Because fasting afflicts your soul. Your flesh wants it. You're not letting yourself have it. Right now, I'm fasting the news because my flesh has grown so that on my Blackberry, I might check the news, honestly, 10, 15 times a day. And it's hard on my flesh right now. I was in there before service looking up some Bible verses and I was tempted to go check the news. And I said, no, the earth can pass away tomorrow. I don't have to know about it. I'll go to heaven. So you got to fast stuff. It's an intended affliction of your soul. So if you just lose your appetite, that's not a fast. That's just you lost your appetite. You're not spiritual. So we're not talking about losing your appetite because something traumatic happened. Your boyfriend broke up with you. Your girlfriend broke up with you. We're not talking about that. The Bible teaches fasting as an intended affliction of soul. That is something you purpose to do. Fasting during a time of mourning can help you speed that season up and cause you to quickly find joy again. Now, let's find some Bible examples of that. Look at 1 Samuel 31, 11 through 13. The men of Jabesh, uh, Jabesh Gilead fasted for seven days at the news of King Saul's death. King Saul died. The the men of Jabesh Gilead, a city of Israel, they fasted and mourned. The seven days may be related to the fact that that their heart was very dear to King Saul because there was a time when the enemies of God had ransacked Jabesh Gilead and they sent news to King Saul when he was still a good king and said, please help us and deliver us. And it took uh, Saul seven days to get to them. And so perhaps the seven days of fasting was to honor him that he delivered them in seven days. And they were very thankful for it. But here's a time of mourning for the loss of a king that was very dear to them. Though he died dirty, they still honored him and wept and mourned for seven days and fasted in in remembrance of him and to get over the heartache of losing a king that had done so much for them. 
2 Samuel says David and his men fasted for a day at the news of King Saul's death. We know that King David loved Saul very dearly. Though King Saul was wicked and tried to kill David, his heart still honored him greatly. And we know from the Bible that the men who brought news to uh, David of his, of his death and said, yep, I saw him die and I helped kill him. David said, this didn't bother you? And it so made David angry, he had his men kill that man. But in the morning, this time of sorrow, David fasted for King Saul's death for a day. Nehemiah fasted when he received the news of Jerusalem's fallen and desolate condition. Imagine loving a city so much you hear it's been destroyed and you weep for it. We can kind of relate to that at 9-11 when New York City was attacked. When our nation came under attack, people were heartbroken. How dare you attack our city? How dare you let things fall apart? How dare you uh, terrorize us? How dare you destroy us? And folks wept over it. And that would have been a good time of fasting. Though, you know, I don't want to compare New York City to Jerusalem. There is no heavenly New York. There is a heavenly Jerusalem, though. But Nehemiah, he had such a heart for Jerusalem, for God's city, for what it represented. It was the presence of God. It was the seat of God in the earth in that day that when he heard that it had been desolate and broken down, he wept and mourned and fasted for it. And that fasting was associated with the broken heart condition he had for the sin that had destroyed his, his hometown, his Jerusalem. When the Jews received the word that Haman had tricked King Ahasuerus into issuing a death sentence to all the Jews in the kingdom, there was great mourning and fasting. That's in the story of Esther. Uh, we know Queen Esther, she was an Israelite, she was a Jewess, and she was one of many wives or uh, queens that King Ahasuerus had. Natural history and theologians tell us that King Ahasuerus was probably the Persian King Xerxes. And so King Xerxes had a harem. He had a bunch of wives. One of them was a Jewess, Esther. And as he's just running his town, he, his kingdom, he happens to have a lot of Jews as slaves because he inherited them. And uh, Haman was an evil guy. He had the king's ear and he plotted a plot to wipe out the Jews. And when the Jews got word that, hey, our king that we serve is going to kill us every, throughout the whole kingdom, they began to mourn. You would too. So we see another example for mourning, excuse me, for fasting. Whenever you get bad news, instead of crying like a baby, you might want to fast. And we're not against you crying. We understand when bad news comes, you get hit in the gut. A bad testimony comes, you get hit in the gut. A bad report comes, you get hit in the gut. We're okay with you dropping to your knee for a brief season. Then it's time to cowboy up and to stand in faith and fasting will help you do that. Because if all the Jews did was mourn, God wouldn't have been changed. God wouldn't have been moved. Oh my God, oh my God. But they began to afflict their soul, fasting, to seek their God for deliverance. The difference between them and us is we get an evil report and all of a sudden we just fall apart and we don't proactively do anything biblically. Fasting is something we can do biblically proactive when we're wanting to mourn, when we're wanting to fall apart, when we're wanting to fail. Oh, woe is me, I'm a failure. Woe is me, I've got cancer. Woe is me, my marriage is rocky. Woe is me. And one of the things you can do is begin to fast and seek God because fasting is a proactive activity you do to get God to move on your behalf. Now, fasting is not just starving yourself. That's just starving yourself. If just not going without food or just going without food was spiritual, Ethiopia would be a Christian nation. Amen. Bulimics and anorexics would be spiritual, but instead they're demonized. 
Nothing against them. They just need deliverance. China would be a Christian nation if it was about starvation. Now, this is something you proactively do. You afflict your soul to seek your God in this time. And we're looking at the example, seeking God with fasting through a time of sorrow and loss and emotional hurt and trauma. So they did that. And we know that their deliverance came. Daniel mourned and fasted pleasant bread over a divine revelation he had received from God Almighty. He mourned because the revelation is about what was going to come to pass through the generations ahead of time. And it broke his heart. And he began to mourn and weep and seek God. And he fasted uh, for 21 days, for three weeks, he, and he fasted pleasant bread. But it was something he did in a time of sorrow. Because sometimes there's, what else can you do? You can only cry so long. You can only hurt so long. At some point, you got to get up and go on. And fasting helps you get up and go on. Probably the best verse is there, Isaiah 58, verse 6 says, this teaches us that fasting can, and I'm going to quote the King James here, loose the bands of wickedness. And let the oppressed go free. That sounds real nice and generic, but let me give you what the Hebrew literally says. To loose the pangs and grief of injustice and harm. That, that's a little more emotional, speaks to a little bit more of the emotional aspect. Pangs. You know, you've been done wrong and it pangs you. Not a hunger pang, but an emotional pang. Oh, they, they, they betrayed me. They stabbed me in the back. They abandoned me. They divorced me. They robbed me. They betrayed me. See, that, that, that can be an emotional pang. And the Hebrew says that fasting will loose the pangs and the grief of injustice. Have you ever been done injustice? Been done wrong by someone you loved, by someone you trusted? That can produce a lot of emotional hurt. And it, fasting is something that helps you get over it. That's what Hebrew, Isaiah is saying here in the Hebrew. It helps you get over this. You know, we like to come along and say, oh, just shut up and get over it. But sometimes it's a little bit deeper than that because the friendship was a little bit more open, a little bit more intimate. The betrayal was a little bit more brutal. And sometimes you just can't get over it that easy. But fasting can help you. It's what the Hebrew is saying in Isaiah 58. See, this is something we've never seen before, that fasting can get you over your emotional hurt. I don't understand it. It's spiritual law, though. I don't understand how God spoke everything into creation either, but he did. But the Bible says it'll work and it'll work. Injustice and harm. So if you've been done injustice, if you've been harmed, then fasting will loose those pangs and those griefs. It also says, uh, let the oppressed go free. The Hebrew literally says, let's the grievously oppressed, discouraged and bruised. It's not talking about a physical bruise. We get those all the time. You know, you stub your toe or you, you know, you land wrong or you bump into something. That's not... Fasting won't solve those kinds of bruises. We're talking emotional bruises where your heart's bruised. And it says there in the uh, Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew, it, it lets the grievously oppressed. That, that's emotions. That's hurt. That's sorrow. Your loved one died. You lost a child. You lost a husband. You lost a wife. Uh, you lost a best friend. I was just at Starbucks this morning and I was talking to the, the barista behind the bar, uh, the coffee bar. And I, th I thought she had a tattoo of a star. And so I was going to just chat her up because I, I want to know what these stars represent. I said, what's that star represent? I see a lot of folks. She said, actually, that's uh, uh, the cancer ribbon. She said, my best friend died of breast cancer. And this was like several years ago. And she, this is a new tattoo because I kind of know the people that work at Starbucks. And this is something she's doing. It's crazy. That is tattoo on yourself to remember your friend who died of cancer. Of course, you can't judge her. She's a pagan. She's a heathen. But see, rather than tattoo your flesh, why not fast? 
she lost a loved one. And I, I tried to, you know, comfort her and say, I'm so sorry to hear about that. My father-in-law has bone cancer right now. Trying to really strike up a conversation, a friendship, so I can witness to her later. But see, that's what the world does to get over stuff. But the Bible teaches fasting. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, in Japan, it's commonly reported when women go through postpartum, is that right, partum? Depression. They wail and scream a lot. And we know that postpartum depression affects a lot of women. It's not God and it's not natural. It's not even a natural part of childbirth. And you have to resist it, ladies, when you have babies and give birth. But it becomes so severe in Japan, this depression, this emotional oppression, uh, that the women begin to have bite marks appear on their bodies. This is common in Japan. This is very similar to what Dr. Sumrall encountered in the Philippines in the 58, 1950s with uh, uh, Clarita Villanueva, the lady he cast devils out of. She was tormented and bite marks would appear on her and blood would appear out of nowhere for she was possessed of devils and they would bite her. This is a common occurrence in Japan with postpartum depression, even as far as I, last time I researched it to this day, because they're giving over to this emotional and they, they just they collapse under it rather than fighting it and resisting it. And what we're seeing here from Isaiah 58, fasting and afflicting your soul to seek God helps you break this kind of stuff. This is something we've never seen before, but the way you establish doctrine is with Bible. And I've got a lot of bullet points here proving this, this thing. So the next time, instead of feeling sorry for yourself for three weeks, fast for three and get over it. Your husband will thank you. Your children will thank you. Your wife will thank you. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Because here's the thing. When you feel sorry for yourself, you end up fasting all your friendships. Because nobody wants to be around you and you don't want to be around anybody else. And you start singing the song, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Get over yourself. Fasting will help you do it quicker. Because that's what it promises to do there in Isaiah 58. Let's the grievously oppressed, discouraged. No, you mean fasting and get you over some discouragement? According to the Bible. And, and next lesson covers Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is our doctrinal passage that talks about the fast that pleases God and all the things it does. Isaiah 58 establishes to us by the word of God what fasting can and won't do for you. And one of the things Isaiah 58 says it will do for you is get you over discouragement. So next time you wobble under discouragement, stop wobbling and just go without food for a couple of days and seek God. You'll break that thing. Of course, we want to eat ourselves out of discouragement. I feel so bad. I, what I need is a pizza. I need a big old peanut butter milkshake from Sonic. Oh, I need pineapple. I need cake. I need ice cream cake. I need a whole box of ho-hos and ding-dongs. I need a 48-ounce porterhouse steak. And you know, it's just best when you cut the fat up and just eat the fat right off the steak. Comfort food. <laughs> Jesus said you got to comfort his name is the Holy Ghost. You might as well fast and seek him and get his comfort working in your life. Amen. Let's move on. <laughs> Fasting appears to provide a supernatural way to speed up what some would call the healing process in times of emotional anguish and mourning. Amazingly, uh, when sad, the flesh would choose to gorge itself on ice cream and chocolates in an attempt to comfort itself rather than act on the biblical answer of fasting. 
So this is basically new doctrine for this church, I know, because it's never been taught here. I've never seen it till I wrote this curriculum. So go home and study this. Look at these verses. Look at what all these examples here. One, two, three, four, five, six. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word's established. I gave you six. I've doubled my biblical requirement to establish doctrine. So go home and get it in your heart and realize next time you get discouraged or hopeless, fast for a day and your light will break forth and you'll have victory. Let's look at our next reason for fasting. As a sign of true repentance or to find repentance. This one's a little bit more familiar and a little bit better known. Since fasting is a time to afflict your soul, fasting can often coincide with repentance from sin. Fasting reflects the anguish you feel for the sin you have committed and can also work to deliver you from the bonds of that sin. Fasting can help you get truly delivered from that old familiar sin. Every one of us in here has a sin that has plagued us since we were probably teenagers. Something that haunts us to this day, whether it's an insecurity, that's a sin, whether it's a lust, and lust isn't just sexual, it can be lust for acceptance, lust for shoes, lust to be muscular, lust to be skinny, lust to be wealthy. I mean, these are things that plague us, and there's nothing wrong with any of this, being healthy, being skinny, being accepted. There's nothing wrong with it, but when your heart's concerned, consumed of it, it's a sin. So there's, every one of us has a sin we're familiar with, and it's very familiar with us. We know how to do it. We've written the manual on how to sin the sin and how to have 25 verses that let us get by with it. We're just that familiar with this sin. Fasting will help you get over that and bury that thing once for all. Let's look at some examples of fasting as a way to repent of sin. It says, First uh, Samuel says, Israel repented from Baal worship with fasting. That's there in 1 Samuel uh, when, when things started falling apart and they went to Samuel and they repented with fasting. It showed that they were truly sorry that they would afflict themselves and go without food. Honestly, when you're really sorry, you'll jump through any hoop God puts in front of you to make things right with him and to prove to him you're truly sorry. It's just like in the book of Acts, they fasted all their sorcery and witchcraft and burned it. Perhaps if you were truly sorry, you'd get rid of all the sin you have, all the dirty movies. If you were truly sorry of that music you listened to, you'd wipe it off your iPod and get rid of the CDs. If you were truly sorry of all the cigarettes you smoke, you'd get rid of them. You'd fast it. Some folks, they just like to flirt with it. You know, they kind of put, put back a stash. Can't get rid of all their dirty movies because they may want one in a month. They can't get rid of all, all the dirty websites. They may, they, their flesh may want one in a month. That's called making provision for the flesh. But when you're truly penitent, it's a really easy thing to fast. Lord, forgive me. And so we see Israel repented of Baal worship in this instance because they were always going back to Baal worship. But in this instance, they repented with fasting. First uh, King says Ahab. We know Ahab was a dirty king. He was married to Jezebel. Part of his problem is he would not literally married to Jezebel. That's where we get the term Jezebel. He let her run the show and he was just kind of a sissy, spineless panty waist. But he, he got judged by Isaiah. Isaiah came and rebuked him and Ahab repented for being a perverse king with fasting. And the interesting thing there in first Kings is God noticed it and God told the prophet, he has humbled himself before me. Therefore, let him know these judgments will not come upon his family in his lifetime. But once he is gone, I will bring them. And God had mercy on Ahab, King Ahab. He had mercy on this dirty king because he afflicted his soul and humbled himself with fasting and postponed judgment one generation. King Ahab. So we see that fasting would also help when judgment has been uh, pronounced over you. 
Fasting is a good way to change God's mind. You know, if the Lord says, you're done, you're toast, that'd be a good time to fast and say, Lord, have mercy on me. If Ahab can say, Lord, have mercy on me. Ahab, not even born again. Ahab. I mean, even Moby Dick's captain, he was crazy. He was called Captain Ahab. Ahab is not a name you name your kid. But yet Ahab had an ounce of humility in him and, and amplified it, I believe, with fasting. And God told the prophet, I've changed my mind. Tell him I'll postpone the judgment till his kids are brats. And they grew up to be brats and God brought forth all the judgment on them. And cut off, he said, I'm going to cut off your seed. I'm going to cut off all your kids. And he did that. But he was able to, Ahab was able to buy more time through fasting. Repentance. God took note of it and changed his judgment. And Nehemiah 9, 1 says, In Nehemiah's day, Israel repented for neglecting the law with fasting. Uh, notice that sometimes when you realize uh, you've just been neglecting the Bible, I'm a dirty Christian. You ought to fast. Help get the victory over it. Help solidify it. Israel hadn't done the word in 70 years. And Nehemiah, actually Ezra stands up and begins to read the word. Nehemiah was just a governor and built the wall. Ezra comes along and reads the word. All they did was hear Moses read to them and it caused a revival. And they repented with fasting and said, we have neglected the word of God. David corrected his soul with fasting. You can look at that. There's a couple of Psalms that talk about that. Uh, you may want to do that if you got some dirty sin in your life. Maybe when you finally get tired of flirting with it. And that's probably the problem. And I've said this before. This is a convicting statement. The reason you still have that sin in your life that you keep flirting with is because it's not sinful enough to you yet. You can justify it. You can tolerate it. You can whitewash it. You can make it acceptable. You're not <coughs> disgusted enough with your sin yet to get the victory over it. You want a car. You want a new pair of shoes. You want healing. But you don't want free from that sin bad enough. Maybe you should take all your faith off of the stuff and put it back on the sin in your life and seek God to get the victory over the sin in your heart. And David said one of the ways he did that was with fasting. He afflicted his soul. He corrected his soul with fasting. Maybe, maybe you tell yourself, flesh, the next time you want that, you're going without it for six months. And fast Mountain Dews or coffee or movies or media or oh, internet, ooh, or texting, good Lord. Facebook, you ever thought about fasting Facebook? If your soul can't go without it for a day or two, you might need to fast it because it's got a hold of you. Some of you don't even know what Facebook is and that's cool. Facebook doesn't touch me at all. I don't even get on the thing. But for me, it might be coffee in the news. See, when your sin becomes exceedingly sinful enough, you'll get desperate and you'll look to fix that thing. I, I really don't understand why we tolerate sin in our life. Why we peep, why we peek, why we slander, why we gossip, why we worry, why we fret. We, we just flirt with this sin. In fact, in Ezekiel, God said that his sinful people were like the foxes of the desert. They just kind of come and go as they want. And we know that Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that spoil our vine. Pick up the little fox. Don't pet him. Twist his head off. Throw him back over the hedge and put a rock in the hole. 
so another one can't come in. But we flirt with the little fox that keeps spoiling our vine. What we ought to be is like David and correct our soul with fasting. What's that look like? Well, the next time you start lusting after something, know in Jesus' name and, and fast food for a day. Not fast food like McDonald's or Burger King or Crystal, but go without food for a day and spend that day solidifying your victory. Amen. After Jonah's turn or burn message to Nineveh, everyone, included the cattle, fasted because of their sin. Now, that's a dirty town when even the cows have to fast. <laughs> but at the same time, think about this. How dirty was Nineveh that God wanted to destroy it? It's dirty. Yet how merciful is God that he sent a prophet, a reluctant one, to go preach to him? Pretty merciful. And yet, think about this. They were on the verge. They were Sodom and Gomorrah. But one message from one whitewashed, half-hearted preacher, because he didn't want to go. And all he did was walk through the town from one edge to the other. He said it took him a day or two, or three days, I think, and said, God's going to kill you. God's going to kill you. You deserve it. God's going to kill you. You deserve it. God's going to kill you. I wish I could kill you. God's going to destroy you because you're dirty. You can almost hear he's half-hearted when he's doing it. And the king says, oh, dear God, we're in trouble. We have angered the Most High God. And he proclaimed a fast. And then he said, everybody fasts from the children to the infants to the cattle. How quickly did he repent? And it bought Nineveh 100 years. With one message from one half-hearted preacher. And they solidified their repentance with fasting. And it was such, the king took this thing so seriously. He commanded, he proclaimed, everybody from old people to infants, they fast and your cattle does too. And he said, everybody's to sit in sackcloth and ashes, including the cattle. They put ashcloth or sackcloth and ashes on the cows to show how truly sorry they were for their sin. We preach at you 20 times a week that you're dirty and you keep looking at porn and you keep swearing and cussing. And Nineveh repented more quickly. That's why Jesus came along and said, hey, look, Nineveh is going to rise up and judge you. Tyre and Zidon will rise up and judge you. If the signs and wonders that have been done among you have been done among Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. And then behold, a greater than Jonah is here and you still don't repent. That's what Jesus said. So think about it. If King Nineveh, the Ninevite king can repent, so can we. And fasting will help us. God saw it. He had mercy. Daniel repented for the sins of Israel with fasting. In Joel, the Lord commanded that Israel turn to him with all their heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. If you think about the season of judgment we went through about a year and a half ago, people had a broken heart because we realized how dirty we were. We realized how perverted this church had become, how wicked, how disgustingly, desperately wicked and arrogant this church had become. And people began to seek God and repent with fasting and mourning and weeping and true fear and trembling. We ought to have that in our heart every day because we truly serve a holy God. We don't even realize it. We let these little things in so, so frequently. We tolerate little sins so frequently because God hasn't swatted us with the fly swatter because we looked at it yesterday. Make no mistake, you're not getting away with anything. And God sees it. In fact, maybe we'll crank a rip, grip it and rip it in regular service and preach out of Ezekiel. How God says, destroy my people and begin at my church, begin at my sanctuary. First Peter says judgment begins in the house of God. 
And if the righteous scarcely be saved, that means we're going to scarcely be saved. Jude says, even our, our garments spotted by the flesh should be hated. We should hate the very clothes we wear because they touch our sinful flesh. And yet we don't have a problem with the sin that we commit. All right, now we've gone to pastoring and not teaching, so we'll move on. Joel commanded, uh, the Lord commanded in Joel that Israel turn to him with all their heart and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. And Isaiah 58, 8 says, teaches us that fasting will allow our light, that's fellowship with Jesus, to break forth as the morning. Healing shall come and your righteousness, that's clean living, will go before you. And this is a picture of true repentance. So fasting there helps you to walk in light as he is in the light. And it causes your righteousness to go before you. You become known for being clean. You become a Christian living in righteousness. You become a man or woman of righteousness. Not arrogant, but righteous, clean, right living. That's what we're to shoot for. To hate even on a garment spotted by the flesh. Say, Lord, anoint these clothes because I, I, I taint them every time I put them on. Amen. Fasting to seek God. Or when you need an answer. That's probably the most commonly understood reason why people fast. is to seek God and get an answer. This may be the best known reason for fasting is to seek God. It seems to be a spiritual law that fasting amplifies your cry unto God and allows you to seek Him, find Him, and be heard of Him in a stronger manner than is afforded in normal prayer or prayer apart from fasting. Now this again is another aspect that I don't understand. In fact, let, let me just pause and say this. There's a lot about fasting we fat Americans don't know. We're, we're rich. We're spoiled. We have all the food we want, all the stuff we want, all the comforts we want. There is a lot about fasting we don't even comprehend, understand, or have even touched. Even one of the um, commentaries I was reading, maybe it was Dake's study Bible. Even Dake, 50 years ago, I think it was his study Bible, commenting on fasting. He said, the ancients, the believers before us, they knew something about fasting we've lost because we're too inconvenienced by it. Because as, as the New Testament says, our God is our belly. We give ourselves what we want, when we want, and we want it five minutes ago because we are so uh, cookie-cutter, microwavable, instant gratification. There is so much more to fasting we don't even understand, and yet all we see it as because of our carnal mind is, I don't get to eat? You mean I don't get to watch television? There's just so much, which is why we've not touched, which is why we've written this, and maybe we'll teach this once a quarter till we get a hold of it and start seeing things change. But I have found, seems to be from the scriptures I've studied, there's some kind of spiritual law that when you fast and pray, your prayer seems to be louder and more efficacious, more effective. I don't understand it, but it seems to be the case. I got scriptures to back it up. Prayer coupled together with fasting is stronger than just prayer alone. And maybe if we would see results in that, we'd be more eager to fast because we'd see our prayers affecting things and changing things. Really, most American Christians don't fast. All we do is maybe skip a meal and then what we say is that means I get a buffet for lunch and we eat twice as much. Only in America do you have to exercise to lose weight. I was talking to Pastor Mark Donald. He said, Africans would give anything to gain weight. And I say, we would give anything to lose weight. And even in Zimbabwe when we were there, the pastor, uh, Pastor Godfrey, he was a big fat pastor. He said, we need help learning how to eat because now we are getting food 
and Africans are getting fat in Zimbabwe. It's called appetite control, putting your flesh under. And we need to work on it. Look at uh, Judges 20. Israel fasted and sought God when they needed military help against their brother tribe Benjamin in a rape case. That's a long, complicated story. It's the book of Judges. Benjamin had somebody that raped somebody, a daughter from one of the other tribes. The other tribe said, this is unacceptable. They went to war against their brother tribe. And they were losing. And they sought God with fasting a day. And God said, go fight again. They'd lose. They'd come back fast, seek God. Go fight again. They'd lose. And finally, I think the third time they fasted, God said, you'll win. And they did. And they got their vengeance on their brother tribe, Benjamin, for raping one of the daughters of Israel. But their fasting brought forth victory and got them an answer. And your fasting will bring you answers too. David fasted and sought God for the life of his infant son by Bathsheba. This is the illegitimate one, the one that was from, from adultery. And he fasted for seven days. And, when, and he, he sought God and wept and mourned. And when, they, when the boy died, he was only seven days old. He got up, he washed his face, he anointed himself with oil and went and worshiped God. And they said, are you crazy? He's dead now. Why do you stop weeping now? He said, well, before I afflicted myself and sought God with fasting, because who knows God might be merciful to me, though God already said he was going to die. But David still sought to change judgment. That's how we've got to be as Christians. We've got to seek to change things. We quit too easily. You know, we get dirty. We receive the judgment of God and we just quit like a bunch of panty wastes. Every great man of faith in the Bible sought to change God. Even Hezekiah, Isaiah said, you're a dead man. Get your house ready. And Isaiah, excuse me, Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and sought God. And before the prophet got out of the courtyard, God said, I've repented. I've changed my mind. Tell him he's got 15 more years. See, even David, though he, he deserved that judgment, he provoked it, pronounced it on himself. He still said, who knows, perhaps the Lord will still yet be merciful to me. And he sought God to change judgment for seven days with fasting and mourning. In the end, he could not. But when he was done, he was done. He got up, he rejoiced, and he went and kept worshiping God. We get things pronounced against us. We don't even worship God anymore. Bunch of panty sissies. Do you not know the God you serve? David, murderer, adulterer, illegitimate son dies. Seven days is long enough of weeping and feeling sorry for himself. He gets up, anoints himself, goes into the temple and worships his God. There's a season to weep. But get over it because the joy of the Lord's your strength, not feeling sorry for yourself. Amen. Jehoshaphat declared a fast for military victory. They fasted. They got the victory. Ezra and his group of men fasted and sought God for, I think it was 12 days, for direction and protection for their journey back to Jerusalem. They got it. The hand of God came on them. Esther prayed and fasted for three days in hopes of obtaining favor from her husband, the king. She got it. They got favor and they overthrew the wicked judgment of Haman. And then Haman was hanged for it. Thank God for it. See, lots of times we just quit. All these examples, they prayed and fasted. They got it. We just want to sit and feel sorry and we don't get it. And that makes us feel even more sorry. But, you know, you never tried something biblical. Do you know feeling sorry for yourself is not biblical? Fasting and being proactive is biblical. You should give it a whirl. All these examples, people sought God and they got what they were looking for. They got what they sought God for. And fasting was the key that brought it. God told Jer Jeremiah concerning sinful Israel, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. So fasting affects how you are heard in heaven. 
with, in Jeremiah's day, they were fasting religiously and not truly to seek God because they were worshiping other gods and still fasting to Jehovah. But notice it says they fast and God equates that to a cry heard in heaven. So when you seek God with fasting, again, this is why I say there seems to be some kind of amplification law that causes your prayers to be magnified in heaven as a cry. But here God said, because they're hypocrites, I'll not hear their cry. Cornelius fasted and sought God and an angel appeared to him and gave him directions on how to get saved. He said, go seek for one Peter down at Simon the Tanner's house. Cornelius was a heathen. He was a Gentile. He was a, a proselyte Jew. He wasn't even born again, but he fasted and gave alms and uh, offerings to God. And God heard that. In fact, the angel appeared and said, your alms and prayers have come up as a memorial before God. There's a common teaching in Charismatica, which is fruity, that says God doesn't hear any prayer of sinner praise except for the prayer of salvation. That scripture there proves that to be a stupid statement. How do people get born again? How do they hear the gospel? Their heart says, God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. Here, the angel said there in Acts, I think it's 10. Yeah. That angel said, your prayers are making it all the way into heaven. Your alms and your prayers have come up as a memorial before God. This, this Gentile heathen, his prayers were making it all the way to heaven. He wasn't even saved yet. But because his prayers were of faith, making it into heaven with fasting, that goes back to the Old Testament, the cries being heard in heaven. God says, angel, go down there. That boy needs to get saved. He needs to learn about Jesus Christ. And the angel came and said, go seek one Simon or Peter at Simon the Tanner's house. He'll give you words whereby you and your whole house must be saved. So thank God for that. So what a dumb statement. God doesn't hear the prayers of non-believers. I'm sorry. How many folks in the Old Testament were born again? None. And how many of their prayers were heard? A whole lot. Amen. The early church's prophets and teachers sought God with prayers and fasting and the Holy Ghost would speak and people would be set in their proper positions in the church. Isaiah 58 says, states that fasting will cause your voice to be heard on high. Isaiah 58, 9 says that fasting will allow you to call out to God. This is the cool thing. And he will answer you and God will say, here I am. That's the only place I found in the Bible where God will answer you and say, basically, here am I. Through fasting. He'll basically say, here am I. What, what is it you want? Now, he's not going to give you perverse things, but Lord, I, I want my baby. Lord, I want my marriage. Lord, we need finances. Lord, I need healing. But that's a neat thing. Fasting gets God to answer you and say, here I am. Only thing I have found in the Bible that gets God to respond in such a manner. See, there's things about fasting I think we've not tapped into. And I think America has slipped away from it through the devil's device because the devil knows how powerful fasting can be. Where else have you seen God answer anybody and say, here am I? Every other place, the Lord answers or says, and the prophet says, Lord, here am I. Send me. Lord, here am I. What do you want? Amen. You guys are quiet. I don't know if it's because you're fearful now. You got to go without lunch today or something. <laughs> Isaiah 50, 11 teaches that fasting will allow the Lord to guide you continually. That's the reason we fast is because we need direction. So whether you are seeking God, whether you're mourning or sad or depressed or you're sinful and dirty, fasting can aid you in your need for help. When do you need to fast? We should rather ask, when do you want help? If you need help, fast. 
Fast your television, fast coffee, fast the movies, fast sports, whatever's got a hold of you, fast it. Get the victory of it. Dr. Sumrall said your flesh should be a slave. Unfortunately, as it is for most American Christians, we're the slave to our flesh. Whatever our flesh wants, it gets. We don't care what the cost, what the price. I want it now. Can I finance it? At what percent interest? Can you make it me afford it? And that's why we're weak Christians here in America. We let the appetite be God and we don't let God be God. But if we fast and get these appetites under control, that's my favorite verse, I think now. Here am I. Son, what, what, what can I do for you? Lord, I need a job. Lord, I, we want a baby. Lord, we need healing. Lord, we're dying. Lord, my church needs to grow. Lord, my son. Lord, my daughter. Fasting. But that's why the Bible calls it afflicting your soul. And that's why most of us won't fast because we don't want the affliction. All right, we'll stop there. Appreciate you coming. We'll be ready for regular service in 10 minutes.